The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to episode number 165 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. In this episode, I will be speaking with Milos Vasilovich, Program Manager at HDR, about fostering innovation on major infrastructure projects, and I mean mega projects. He's worked on some really cool stuff, and he really dives into some of the details and the benefits of working on these mega projects. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practices as a civil engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book called Engineer Your Own Success, and I've traveled the world helping engineers. I've also had the honor of authoring the American Society of Civil Engineers Careers and Leadership column for the past few years. Before we get started, this is a free show for civil engineers, and our sponsors help us keep it free, so we ask that you please support them. And now I'd like to recognize and welcome back our sponsor for this episode, ACI. Are you a member of the American Concrete Institute? ACI is a worldwide community of 30,000 professionals, educators, and students in more than 100 countries. It is the premier global community dedicated to the best use of concrete. Starting on January 1st this year, ACI launched a new member benefit. ACI members now have free access through annual subscriptions to all ACI University live webinars, free access to 260-plus on-demand courses, and unlimited access to the Institute's practices, including all ACI guides and reports, and symposium volumes. ACI members push the concrete industry further, adapting to new technology and investing in their careers, and are dedicated to improving concrete design, materials, and construction. You do not have to be an ACI member to work in the concrete industry, but if you want to exceed expectations in it, there is no better place to be. Whether you are a student, just starting, or have years under your belt, ACI membership ensures that no matter what changes the world brings, you will be prepared to thrive, and your life's work will last for generations. Right now, ACI is offering a $30 discount on new individual and young professional memberships. Student memberships are free. Join ACI today at concrete.org forward slash podcast 30. That's concrete.org forward slash P-O-D-C-A-S-T-3-0. And I'll also remind you that we have a brand new series called the Engineering Management Accelerator Series that consists of different courses to help your professionals develop their people skills as well as their project management skills and their sales skills. You can find all of our programs at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. And I've been getting a lot of questions about our new people skills course, and it's going very well. The interaction from the participants is awesome, and we have some great corporate packages, and we'd love to help your professionals succeed. Now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's show, Milos Vasilovich. Milos is an experienced program manager whose background includes civil design, project management, operations, and stakeholder outreach and coordination. He offers a strong ability to integrate technical problem solving and communication skills. His experience working on complex, multi-billion dollar programs has sharpened his skills in meeting aggressive schedules, building consensus, 
and driving decisions to keep projects moving forward. I really enjoyed this conversation with Milos because he really does talk about kind of the people side of mega projects and innovating and really looking for these win-win situations. And I'm excited to share it with you. So let's dive into this week's civil engineering conversation of the week. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'm excited to welcome our guest onto the podcast for today, Milos Vasilovich. Milos, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks, Anthony. I'm really excited to be on your podcast. I'm really, uh, you know, thrilled about our conversation today. Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to it. You've worked on some really exciting projects, and I'm excited to dive into some of those with you. But before we go there, Milos, why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about what you do at HDR on a daily basis? I am a program manager with HDR. What I do is I help owners, uh, public owners in the infrastructure sector in the transportation industry to procure and then oversee design, construction, and maintenance of major infrastructure projects and help them manage their risks. That's my day-to-day job. Uh, I typically work in a co-located office on large projects, and uh, I've um, had the opportunity to work on some of the most exciting projects within the country in the, in the last 10 years that I could think of, such as the Mario Cuomo Bridge in New York, the replacement of the old Tappan Zee Bridge, as well as um, for the past few years, the chance that I had to work uh, in my home state of Arizona on the new South Mountain Freeway project. We're going to dive into some of those projects, but one of the things I want to ask you about, Milos, right up front here, because I think it's a question a lot of civil engineering professionals have is, what's the difference between project management and program management? Because, you know, program management is something that a lot of people have been talking about more and more with infrastructure, and I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit if you would mind. The difference between project management and program management is the most, by the book definition, is When you manage a project, you're managing one finite project that has its start and end, and it has a clear scope. You can take that to the next level, which is managing programs, which is a group of projects with a common goal. So what you're doing is you end up having more complexity, and you have to also look at how do those projects uh, interact with each other. You have a lot more coordination, coordination with stakeholders as well. I really believe that the risk management and optimization goals do come into play a lot more than you would have on a standard project. Now, in addition to that, what we've included, right, wrong, or indifferent, you know, at least in transportation within our program management capability or, or scope is managing mega projects, which if you look at a mega project that is, you know, over a billion dollars of construction, you have hundreds of regular projects within them. And, and you have things that are all related within this one project that can take three, five years to complete that you are doing. And um, we look at that as the responsibility and of program management, really, because it ends up being very common tasks that you would have. That's a very helpful explanation. And again, just to kind of summarize that from what I'm hearing, just because I know a lot of our listeners are interested and in always thinking about where they're headed in their career. So project management, 
you're managing a project, there's different parties, there's different components of that project, and you're kind of overseeing them and helping it to come to completion. Whereas program management, you have several projects that are tied together and you're kind of managing how they interact and you want the whole program to be successful and you're looking at different projects. And if you have a project that's a mega project of a billion dollars, let's say, that can really be viewed as a program because it has different projects within it. Yeah, and I mean, we'll cover at a later time the project I previously mentioned, the South Mountain Freeway project, was originally envisioned as nine projects. So you would have a program, and it was a program, uh, you know, with a common goal of completing the two loop in Phoenix. And at one point in time, it was all combined into one project, one mega project. So this South Mountain Freeway project, take us through it. It was a, a roadway project with multiple components. It's a 22-mile-long uh, new freeway that's built in the Phoenix metropolitan area. It is connecting the east and west valleys of the Phoenix metropolitan area. It's been in the making, it's been in the plans since the 80s, and it was envisioned as nine separate projects. What ADA was able to do is actually take a look at it and say, okay, what if we combined these projects into one project? We can gain some efficiencies in that in terms of reducing the number of procurements that you will have. And then let us use the P3 law, which is the public-private partnership law, in order to shift some of the risks from the owner that the owner traditionally holds to the private entity and take a look at who can manage each risk on the job in the best possible way. Through using the P3 law and, and delivering this project as a design, build, maintain project, ADAT was able to cut about three years off of the project schedule and save about a hundred or so million dollars overall on this program. Arizona Department of Transportation or ADOT, they would be kind of the client here. They were the public entity that you were dealing with. They put together this project. It was going to be nine projects. They consolidated a little bit for efficiency purposes, which is great. A couple questions there. First of all, you mentioned P3. For listeners not familiar with P3, what is P3? So P3, it's a public-private partnership where a public agency like ADAT will work with a private developer together where you can deliver infrastructure through, I mentioned before, design, build, maintain, which was South Mountain. But you can also have a finance component, which is design, build, maintain, and finance, where a private entity or a concessionaire will bring in private money to build a facility. Let's dig in a little deeper there. And you mentioned risks, which I know it sounds like a big part of a program manager's job is to help the client minimize or reduce their risks. And if our listeners are listening and thinking, you know, well, what kind of risks are you talking about? Maybe right off the bat for me, I'm thinking maybe maintenance could be a way, maybe financing. So talk to us about what some of the risks are that you try to help the client reduce. For all projects, when you look at it, you have your cost and schedule risks. You have a number of technical risks. You know, what an owner wants is to provide reliable and safe infrastructure to the public. And I'll give you a, a particular example of, of South Mountain. When you bring in a private entity, there is a worry. Are they going to give us the facility that we're looking for? One of the things to, to look at, A, that went ahead and said, okay, well, this is for the first time that they've ever done this. Let's go ahead and incentivize the developer to build the best infrastructure possible. And let's do that by shifting the maintenance, so lifecycle maintenance, and the maintenance responsibilities to the developer for the next 30 years. 
with that, we're going to incentivize them to build the best facility possible because you know what? They're on the hook to maintain it and they want to do it in the most efficient way for the next 30 years. That's a good example of how you can shift the risk of maintenance costs from the owner to the private entity and incentivize them in such a way to do the best job possible during the design and construction. Sounds like an exciting job to me, you know, managing the program and getting involved with those types of things. And I'm, I'm glad that you're talking about that because I think sometimes civil engineering professionals are focused on a lot of the details, thinking about project management. They forget that there's other, you know, you can go big picture in terms of program management and risks and benefits to a client. And if you're interested in that kind of things at work, you can get involved with that as well. So let's flip over now to the Mario and Cuomo Bridge which I'm very familiar with. I drove over it a lot, um, being that I worked in, in the Rockland County and Westchester County areas in, in New York here. Talk to us a little bit about that project. That was a big time project. What did that entail? It was very high profile across the country. Mario Cuomo Bridge is the new 3.1 mile long uh, cable state bridge that connects, like you mentioned, Westchester and Rockland counties. And it was built to replace the old aging Tappan Z Bridge that was built back in the 50s. When I was applying to colleges, I remember, you know, how you like write an essay about, hey, what, what do you want to do as a civil engineer? So I remember writing, I would love to build the bridges to connect the infrastructure and, and connect the people. And the fact that I got a chance to how many ever years later to work on a bridge like that, it, it was a dream come true for me. It helped out with the proposal. I knew some folks from the New York offices. You know, when we won the project, we were the lead design firm as, as HDR. They asked, hey, would you be willing to move to New York and help with the design of the bridge? I talked to my wife and we had our six-month-old son at the time. And, you know, we just said, well, let's just do it. Let's just go for it. And we moved to New York and the energy and the excitement of everyone that was there working on that project was just amazing, like electric. And, and everyone is working towards something that you look at and it's like bigger than yourself. It's going to be there for a hundred years. It's truly remarkable experience in my life. I was very humbled and excited to work on this project. Uh, my role was to come up with a solution to down the line, build a commuter rail bridge in between the two highway bridges and to provide a solution to so that the existing bridge that's built today can be modified in the future to carry a commuter rail bridge in between the two structures. And it was a exciting, a big challenge for me. And uh, it was a true growing experience. And, and I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, you look at it, I just, I feel it like it was nice, like seven years ago that, you know, that we were there and it still feels like yesterday. For those of you not familiar with the New York, New Jersey area, that bridge does handle a lot of daily traffic of commuters that go into New York City for work every day. So you can imagine the type of traffic and the volume that it does, which is one of the reasons that for years it's been talked about, you know, replacing it. And finally, of course, that happened. And, and getting back to that, your component there on the project, looking at the commuter rail, Milos, talk to us about that. What are some of the things that you needed to look at in investigating that? That was a big challenge. You know, this is something that uh, New York State Thruway Authority said, you know, we want this bridge to be built so that it can, we want it to be a resilient structure. You know, we want your design and construction solution to be able to accommodate future transit needs. 
when you think of that, a lot of uh, structures, you know, you build them and then you, you have to make significant modifications down the line, you know, just like the existing bridge. It was built for when the old Tappan Zee bridge was built in the 50s, it carried 14,000 vehicles or so. At the time that it was functionally obsolete, it was, uh, you know, to carry a hundred and something thousand vehicles and you just had to replace it. So the throughway authority said, well, we want to design and build this new bridge so that you would be able to add one more bridge in between the existing structures and to be able to carry the, the rail. With that, this is something that may be built in the next 30 years or something. So who knows when, but we needed to build the existing structure to be efficient, to be within the cost, but still be able to sustain the future loading. So we built the foundations of the existing bridge to be able to carry one more bridge on it down the line, whenever that is, but still do it in a way that is cost effective for today's public, because you don't want to build or you can't even win a job where the new bridge is $4 billion. And uh, if you were going to say, well, it'll be an extra billion dollars to do this, it, it just doesn't work. Right. Especially since you're not realizing those benefits today. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's not worth it to build it today. That was a very interesting challenge to do. And I really, really enjoyed working on it. And the amount of work that went into it is we had a team uh, working on this from Copenhagen, from uh, Vancouver, from across the U.S., the amount of folks working on this job was just amazing, staggering. We had, I think at one point in time, over 700 designers across the world working on this one structure. Just goes to show you that the kinds of projects that you can work on in this field and the number of people you interact with, which is why, you know, we talk a lot about, of course, the importance of being able to work with people effectively and your people skills and things of that nature. It sounds like in the work that you do, and I think just in general in the world of civil engineering and today, we need to be really creative. And we need to be innovative. And sometimes still when you hear the words kind of project management and innovation, people aren't smiling all that much. They're not really sure if the two go together. Talk a little bit about the importance of innovation and in project management and program management and how we can continue to kind of develop that. When you look at creativity and innovation, they're two separate processes. Creativity will come from, you know, idea generation. You know, when you look at innovation, it's innovation is actually the process of implementing creativity. And when you look at project management, it, it's a implementation of projects. In order to foster innovation within your project teams, you have to create an environment of innovation. You have to create an environment of, call it intellectual bravery. So for your teams to have intellectual bravery, there's a few things you have to do as a project manager, but really as a leader within your team. You have to encourage within your team a willingness to disagree, to dissent, to challenge, and uh, to challenge the status quo. And, and the only way you can do that is by encouraging and creating a safe environment for people to take the risks, you know, to take the risk of being embarrassed of uh, being reprimanded, to be marginalized, to be punished. You need to create an environment where people feel free that, hey, I can take these risks. People will listen to me. It's a challenge to do, but I'll give you an example. I really look back to one of the clients that I had, and, and you know, he was a client, but also a mentor. He did a lot of stuff to really, he would always come in and say, well, why would I do that? He would tell me, well, challenge me. This is what I do. I want you to challenge me. Why, why should I do it different? Tell me what are the things, like what am I doing wrong? 
And I hope I can do that or, or that I can emulate that. But he showed his own vulnerability to the people. For example, I had a Zoom meeting recently and he said, oh, okay, let me show you. I've been playing a guitar. And it starts the meeting with playing a guitar for a few minutes. He said, ah, you know, here it is. And, and it just creates an environment where you feel free to speak up your mind. That's a way you able to channel and foster innovation within your teams. People need to feel comfortable and feel that they could throw some ideas on the table. And even if they're a little bit crazy, they'll still be heard and they'll still be discussed. And it will spur on some new innovative or creative ideas that can potentially be benefited through innovation. So back to that innovation for a second, I guess this client is kind of tied into this question too, is how can the owner support that on a project? For projects to be successful and programs to be successful, especially on mega projects, you do need innovative and new ideas. Now, what an owner does, the very first step is to decide to do and deliver a mega project. What's innovation is sparked by creating uncomfortable environments. I don't know if you've ever been to any of like change trainings, you know, change management trainings. But one of the things they tell you is like, take your watch and put it on the other hand that you're not used to wearing. And let's do that for the rest of it. Well, a mega project is really taking your watch from the hand you're wearing out to the other hand. It's, we've never done it before. You're uncomfortable. An organization, an agency, ADA that I work for is on the Department of Transportation, same point in time, hey, we're going to be uncomfortable. And they decide, okay, we'll deliver this, you know, South Mountain Freeway as a $1.7 billion project. And we'll do it as a P3, which we have never done before. So they've created an uncomfortable environment for themselves. That's the first thing. Then you need to look at, well, how can I take that and implement it? The way you do it, I mean, as you know, government agencies, you write procurement documents, you release an RFP to the street. And what you do is let's try something a little different. We'll write performance specifications. We'll do a performance contract rather than a prescriptive contract. You know, so you say, well, there are things that a, a developer can suggest to us to do. And we'll implement what they called ATCs into the project. Now, this gets very technical, but let me take a step back from that. What you do as an owner to encourage innovation is to have a collaborative environment that fosters communication between all parties. The sooner you can do that, the better it is for the job. When you start writing the procurement documents, you can enable contractors or developers to come in and suggest ideas. It's called the alternative technical concept, that ATC process, but that's what you're doing. You're bringing the contractor in to bring in their ideas, how you could do things differently. You let them challenge you. And then you look back and say, well, actually, maybe we could do this or that a little different. And then you incorporate those things into the contract so that by the time you're done with procurement and you're going into design and construction, you already have a team. You already have your owner team, your designer and contractor all working together. You already had some of that, you know, stormy norm informing built in. That is the key component in being successful and foster innovation as an owner, creating a collaborative environment as soon as possible. That is great. And I think that's really important, especially in the world we live in today, where we need to be super creative and, and really innovative. In your opinion, what would you say have been some of the impacts that the pandemic has had on the ability to implement innovation on these major infrastructure projects? It's affected all of us. On major projects, you have large teams. And we've been able to shift pretty seamlessly 
with technology to working remote and you know we're talking over zoom now and we've used the same tools to create and emulate that collaborative environment what it's helped is to implement more technology to facilitate better communication again to get people uncomfortable to start thinking hey what could i do better to continue doing my job one of them is use of technology you know we've implemented virtual public meetings to keep things going you know if you go into a public meeting you go to like a high school or something to provide feedback about a project well they can do that virtually and uh, you can reach more people that way as well in addition to the standard way of, of doing public meetings what we do now is react to it we react to the pandemic and we implement you know tools technology new ways of doing things to collaborate you know we use a tool called mural you know to emulate a virtual whiteboard where everybody can come in and type in things at the same time and it's a great tool it emulates the us sitting in a conference room and working together but uh, additional things we've done you know for example focus or invigorate yourself to focus on highlighting the wins and successes people are a little down there's a lot of anxiety in general so you think and, and it really helps teams you focus on hey what are the successes that we can have well on infrastructure projects you can do a lot more work when there's nobody driving during the lockdown there's no cars on the roads well all of a sudden you can have longer work hours longer closures traffic closure you can have a lot more work done and you can actually build infrastructure quicker when there's nobody there that's one of the effects of the pandemic but I'll tell you what I'm most excited about is as we go back to the call it the new normal whatever it ends up being as we go back to standard work people have been challenging themselves and have been working in a different environment you know how I told you, you know you take a watch from one hand to another well we've been working with our watches on on the off hand for 9 months it's become the new normal and now it's going to be the time to go and take those watches and put them back on the hand that we were used to but now it's not going to feel comfortable on this hand either i really look forward for our transition from reacting to the pandemic to now taking everything we've learned and implementing in a world that no longer has a pandemic but now can function in a different and a new way in a better way and things that come out of that are that i really look forward to is i mentioned to you doing virtual public meetings but that highlights the fact that you really need access to broadband facilities and services across the state it highlights these initiatives that are there you know we have broadband projects that are being built together with the infrastructure but now that puts it into a perspective where you say hey i really need people to have access to infrastructure to better internet to broadband across the state we need to do that that becomes fresh and very tangible in people's minds and things like that are what sparks innovation a different way of thinking as our society progresses and i'm so excited about it it's great to hear that even though this pandemic has been a very tough time for a lot of people like you said there's a lot of anxiety i'm a believer that you know there's opportunities kind of in every situation and i think in this situation we do need to look for opportunities and you certainly laid out some of the opportunities there 
to become more innovative and to use tools that we're now learning about that we can continue to use moving forward on some of these very large infrastructure projects. So it's been really exciting kind of to hear you, Milos, go through some of these mega projects you've been working on, big programs, and hearing about some of the challenges and some of the work you do in terms of the risks and how you help the clients kind of minimize those risks. I think it's a really exciting profession in this discipline of civil engineering, which is such a big discipline. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to come back. We're going to put Milos on the civil engineering hot seat and ask him a couple of last career-related questions. So stick with us. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right. I'm back with Milos Vasilovich from HDR. He works on some big-time projects and programs, and he's been really gracious to spend some time with us here and share some information about those projects. But now we're going to put him on the hot seat and we're going to ask him some career-related questions. Milos, you ready for this? Sure, why not? All right. So first of all, are there any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning routine or a lunchtime routine or something that you do consistently on a daily basis that contributes to your success? One thing that I do is every morning I write out a list of things that I plan to accomplish for that day. A few years ago, I got into that routine and and I found it extremely helpful. It it gets my mind in a mood to think, hey, what are all the things that I need to do? And, you know, I'll jot out a few that I know for sure that I can accomplish. And uh, it really sets my day going. At the end of the day, you always have that feeling of success as you cross off the little, the few things. And even if you had a, you know, pretty stressful day or, or a bad day in general, you can say, well, but I got my stuff done. And that's something that I, you know, relied on and, and, and helped me do my work. And, and just as a simple routine that uh, as a part of my day has improved my life. And in terms of coming up with that list, is it just something that whether it's in, from your emails, from your head, how do you come up with that list? Just like you say, things from my emails, things, I need to call this person. I need to make sure I send out these emails. I need to finish a financial report or update the risk register today. It's just a good way of organizing yourself in the morning. What I also found is a lot of times people will say, well, I got to do this, but it may take you a few days to do it, whatever the task is. And then if you look at something that will take you a few days to do and you say, yes, that'll take me a long time, but what can I do today? And you make the task even smaller. Well, it gets you going and you know you can do that much for that day of that big task. And it's really helpful in uh, having discrete little pieces that you know you can chew up. You know, smaller bites are easier to chew. What's one book that you might recommend to our listeners or just a book that you may have found helpful for you in your professional or your personal development? Do you have a book that stands out for you? The book I really like reading uh, is called The Trusted Advisor. It's a book that discusses trust and provides simple and common sense way to describe what are the components of trust and what it means. And I looked it up and and I found it because I I thought, especially as an engineering consultant that I am or or in the consulting industry, people use uh, trust and, and saying, oh, I'm a trusted advisor as a buzzword. They don't really think, what does it really mean? Are they being perceived that way? Because most people will say, hey, I'm trustworthy. You have to really look and say, is what I say, what I do, and how I act being truly perceived as trustworthy? And uh, it really frames your mind and uh, helps you in building relationships. And relationships is what it all is about in our industry. 
All right, next question. So thinking back on some of your managers that you've had, Milos, as a professional in this industry, I'm not asking you to name any names, but if you think of some of your favorite managers, what are some of the characteristics that they had that made them your favorite? They were my biggest champions. They would say, be who you are. They were able to truly be the champions for me, to encourage me to pursue my passions and to really be there. They would say, hey, I'm here to support you to be successful. That is my goal. My job as your manager is to serve you and to help you be the best person that you can be and the best engineer that you can be, but find your happy spot overall. I'm grateful for the rest of my life too. And uh, one more thing is they would really stand up on your behalf. I've had a number of challenging situations to say, and, and, and I know that as everyone does, you know, in their career, there's times when you feel like, man, I, I really need help or I need somebody in my corner. And those people would be there and they would be there by default. You wouldn't have to ask them. That's what I do. I can't describe how helpful that is for people's growth and people's careers and just general satisfaction. They just really supported you and that made you feel good and that, that helped you in your career. And that's great. And I, I hear that a lot from people, you know, managers that really support you and they're focused on your development or, you know, managers that people absolutely remember. All right, Milos, I've got one final question for you. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with a civil engineer and you had about 30 to 40 seconds with him or her, and you had to give them a piece of career advice in that short period of time, what would you tell them? Never forget civil in civil engineering. And that this is a people industry, a relationship industry, especially as you start early. You're focused on your technical advancement, but always remember your professional and relationship and people skills. One piece of advice that worked for me, I don't know if it would work for others, but before 40, if you feel comfortable where you are, you're doing something wrong. That's a great piece of advice. Yeah, for sure. If you're too comfortable, you probably need to take some more risks. And that worked for me. Once again, we're here with Milos Vasilovic from HDR. Milos, thank you so much for taking some time out of your very busy day to spend it with us here on the Civil Engineering Podcast. We really appreciate all of your thoughts and advice that you've shared. Thank you very much for having me. This was really fun. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Milos. I knew leading up to the podcast interview, I felt like he had a lot of value that he could offer to the audience, and I really feel like he did give that out, and I hope that you enjoyed it and appreciated it it as much as I did. For those of you interested in building the people skills or project management skills for your engineering professionals in your company, please visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org to check out our programs. You can also give us a call at 201-857-2384. That's 201-857-2384. And we have some great corporate packages where you can purchase a number of seats in our courses and really give a great learning experience to engineering professionals at different experience levels in your company. And we'd love to have them on board. Please remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 165. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books that Milos or I mentioned during the episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. 
The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.